You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Well, girls and boys, the sun's coming up later and later, and the darkness is upon us. But cowpokes like us know that when the going gets cold and dark, we still get going with a double shot and a dawn patrol. That's right, up before the rooster's pecking and the cows are mooing, and out the door for those perfect turns or perfect conditions. And though most of us aren't galloping into the office anymore with hands chalky and our ski pants swishing, doesn't mean that your Dawn Patrol humble brag isn't just as effective when you're five minutes late to that Zoom call. Sorry, folks, you casually say, I'm just not myself if I don't get up at three in the morning and go send some sick shit while y'all are sleeping. Black Diamond is here to support your morning mania with equipment for the Dawn Patrol. Headlamps to light up the pre-dawn hours, the perfect layering systems to peel as you heat up and the sun finally does come up. Ski gear for the punch-drunk 4am skiers, climbing gear for the unrested and off-route climbers, and even bouldering pads, cause let's face it, you're gonna numb out and dry fire. So wake up, buckaroos, and though caffeine may seem like all you need, let Black Diamond supply all the gear you need to get up and get down on your next dawn patrol. Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the Enormacast. Is your relationship with your climbing shoes starting to feel like just a series of Netflix nights with carry out? Is the spark gone? Are the dreamy days of wistfully wondering if your shoes miss you when you can't be romping in the hills together faded away? Well, let the Sportiva theory put some big bang back in your life. Extreme sensitivity combined with high dynamism allows the theory to have unprecedented pedidexterity and reactivity on holds. Mmm, pedidexterity, dynamism, reactivity. Isn't that just what you've been secretly longing for? Do you really want to spend your sun-drenched days and climbing gym nights with a bored last and confining laces? Or with an aggressive and ultra-sensitive slipper that lets you really feel those holds you so lovingly caress every chance you get? Look, you and your old shoes can still be friends. Even meet up once in a while for a 5.9 Audible Air too. But the Sportiva Theory is going to fulfill your needs in a way that those old shoes just never could. So if you've lost that loving feeling, then reignite the passion with the Theory Climbing Shoe from Sportiva. Go to Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop to test the theory. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. <laughs>
Hello and welcome to the Enorma Cast. This is your host, Chris Galoose. It is December 31st, 2020, and it's about 2.30 in the afternoon. What is going on? That can't be right. I don't do these things in the afternoon. Afternoon is a downtime. But anyway, we got stuff going on tonight, so I got to get this done. On today's show, episode 211 of the Enorma Cast, we have photographer and climber Drew Smith, uh, recorded about three months ago, right after a short film uh, about him came out called A Young Man's Road, which you guys should check out. So yeah, we got that coming up. So so what are our plans tonight? Well, we're going to do a uh, family New Year's Eve, which means that we're going to go have dinner at the Bisharat, Andrew Bisharat, my partner over at the Runout. Our families have agreed for months because of our working relationship, as well as our kids' relationship, that... We are decidedly in each other's viral pods. And last year at this time, on the December 31st, 2019, our son Miles threw up on their couch at about 7.30 and we all went home. So maybe we can all come home by 7.30 anyway without the puking on the couch. But who knew that my son was so prescient that as we rang in 2020, he barfed all over the couch. He knew it was coming. Anyway, I've been thinking about the year, you know, the 2020 thing, and frankly, you know, I started thinking about climbing and about my life, and though I've been complaining a lot, and I think climbers definitely have been sort of hemming and hawing the various very small restriction on our lives, uh, 2020 really wasn't that big of a tragedy in my life. You know, I hope it wasn't also one in yours. I know a lot of people lost people this year, and economic hardship was tough, and I don't want to make light of any of that. But in my life, really, the things I was moaning and complaining about were more annoyances and inconveniences. And actually, what I've realized, for most of us, climbing actually was more important than it ever was this year. You know, after the initial thoughts about what it took to spread the virus back in March when everything was locked down and the few people who were climbing were getting shamed on the internet for climbing. And there was this idea that you could warm up on that route right after somebody else and pick up COVID off the hold. And maybe that is still scientifically true, but I think it's pretty infinitesimally small chance. Uh, After we got all over that, um, you know what? I think people mostly found that climbing felt actually a really safe thing to do. It was out of doors. You really actually don't have to spend that much time really close together with strangers. The car ride there probably was the most likelihood of transfer if you were with someone who who was positive and didn't know it. But really, it felt like a safe thing to do. It felt like a safe thing to be out in the backcountry. It felt like a healthy thing to do. And I think most people found a lot of refuge in it. Once we all figured that out, um, I'm just happy to say that uh, for a lot of people, climbing was a refuge from bad news and from other things going on in our lives that were causing us stress as a result of the pandemic and or politics and or personal things going on. 2020, interesting year for climbing and not really as bad as I thought. What happens tomorrow? 2021, not much actually. You know, it's a symbolic thing to go through New Year's Eve. Uh, On the cosmic scale, the fact that the earth is spun around the sun from one arbitrary spot to another is not actually that big a deal, you know, as we all collapse into the black hole. Nevertheless, symbolism is important in our lives, and hopefully you guys can take tonight and tomorrow and the next few weeks to do some uh, soul scrubbing. 
try to get some of that plaque off of there that's built up over the last year. We are certainly not out of the woods in terms of the pandemic, in terms of its effects, both physically and economically. We can't pretend that we are tomorrow morning. However, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. I think everyone can agree to that. And we're also presented with this paradox, this paradox that I live with a lot, which is that climbing both seems completely unimportant and stupid. Going into a canyon and climbing up to an arbitrary spot in the middle of the wall and lowering down and high-fiving everybody because I managed to do it without falling or hanging on the rope or all these other little dumb rules that we play. It seems really dumb when you think about a pandemic that's killing hundreds of thousands of social unrest, of institutional racism, of kids in cages, of all that stuff. Yeah, it seems dumb. However, if, like me, you use climbing to recharge, use it for a refuge, you use it to clean your brain out, which has positive effects on your work and on your relationships and on on a whole host of other aspects of your life, then it's really, really important. And it can be both things. We're adults. We can hold both realities in our brains at the same time. Hopefully, we can make 2021 a great climbing year which will help us do the work that it's going to take to make it a great year for everyone. Okay, on to uh, Drew Smith. Talked to Drew Smith about three months ago. This was one that uh, actually a PR person hooked us up. But Drew and I had met apparently at the trade show. Um, It's surprising we hadn't met another time because we definitely travel in similar circles. But it was another good one where I got to know this guy who I uh, actually ended up wanting to be friends with. So hopefully uh, Drew and I can hook up in person because this one was over the internet. Maybe hang out and do some climbing. It's been a great fringe benefit of the Enormacast as I get to know some some folks who I really enjoy and uh, I'd like to spend some time with them. Anyway, interesting aspect of this one. I think a lot of people email me or want to talk about how it is you make a climbing life. How is it that that, that people go out into the world and and make the kind of life where they they have freedom to travel where they have freedom to climb you know it's it's a difficult task in this world where there's so many pressures on us to uh, make money and have a stable life and a lot of times i think people look at someone like drew smith you know living in his van not a sprinter just a van not the most uh aesthetic van you've ever seen either but uh you know and think that oh they're just privileged and they have some money and you know, someone's behind the scenes sending them checks or something like that. And that can be the case on occasion, especially for young climbers who are sort of on their rumspringer type walkabout for a few years. But uh, that's not the case with Drew. He went out there, he left a stable path in his hometown, you know, the path to sort of getting married and having kids and, and having a good job and that sort of thing that that I think most people choose. And uh, he left town and went on a series of adventures and a series of really intense work gigs. And he just made it work. And it took courage in a lot of ways. It's, it's hard to walk away from stability and from family ties and things like that. So there's a little lesson in here. If you want to have a climber life, then uh, in a lot of cases, it's just going to take a lot of work and a lot of discomfort. And you have to weigh those things against the benefits. And in Drew's case, I think it was an easy choice. So, hope you enjoy this one. A guy who knows what he wants, knows what he needs out of life. Drew Smith.
I was going to ask you about Kochimo. Um, you sent me a link to, you know, a home move you made, as you called it, about uh, doing a first ascent down there. And, you know, that place, I've been down there and it's, you know, definitely a super special place. I've only been there once and um, had kind of an epic trip, I think, in its own way. Very different from yours. But tell me about like finding Kochimo and going down there to do a first ascent. I think it'd be a fun place to talk about because I'd like to know kind of when you were there and, and what it was like uh, in mm-hmm. terms of, of compared to when we were there. Yeah, so I was 27. It was uh, eight years ago down in Kochimo. And I was, I think I'd been climbing for like five years at, at that time. I started climbing when I was 23. But I was psyched. I was like one of those young psyched climbers that just wanted to get better and was going for everything. But a friend of mine that was more experienced, his wife was dying from cancer. And during that time, he asked me if I wanted to go down to Cochimo because he knew she was going to pass and he kind of needed something to focus on. I told him I was psyched and I'd go with him. And we went down there and our plan was go down there for two months and put up a first ascent kind of in in memory of her. Yeah. So we went down there with a whole bunch of stuff and spent like a week kind of climbing in some other valleys and talking to the guy that ran the refugio back there, uh, Daniel. Right. If he was back there when you were there. Oh yeah. Or I'm sure he was, but yeah, for sure. he pointed out this one wall and he's like, there's no routes that go up, up that wall. And it was Arco Iris. There's just this big wall on the left, right when you walk into the valley. And so we're like, all right, I guess we're going for that wall. So we spent like a week or so kind of cutting in a trail, then started shuttling our stuff to the base of this wall, then started climbing up the thing. And as you know, I'm sure it's just, it's super vegetated and it was a lot of like vertical jungle climbing, but then we'd kind of go up a pitch and we'd clean a pitch then we'd and we'd slowly move up and yeah over two months we put up the route and it was 19 pitches and um ended up freeing it at like 12b or something Mm -hmm. yeah we averaged i think a pitch a day just because it was so dirty right spent tons of time cleaning and yeah it was a really tough trip just he was grieving and going through that and i had never dealt with death before so I didn't know what he was going through. It rains a lot down there and we had really good weather and it just all worked out perfectly. Then right before we left, we ended up doing the route. Powerful experience. Yeah. It's that when you said that he, uh, yeah, I mean, when he said that about like, okay, I'm going to go to Cochimo just after my wife has passed, like, man, it's a, it can be a rough place. I mean, when we went, we had a ton of rain and, you know, being perfectly I don't know, in, in a proper state of mind when we left, I mean, I, I, when we left to go there, I mean, but by the time we left the Valley, I was kind of tweaked by, you know, the amount of rain and like bashing through the jungle. And, um, I mean, it's not jungle, like it's temperate rainforest. So, but it feels like jungle. It's just cold. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like cold jungle. But I mean, I remember my state of mind being kind of fucking tweaked after we were there for so long and sat in camp so much and bashed through the forest so much to have nothing happen and get rained on and everything else so it's kind of a wild choice of a place to go to to do that did did he have some 
like notion about what um it would be like for him down there did he was it part of his plan or he just thought i'll just sink my teeth into something to get my mind off of it yeah i think exactly just want wanted something to get his mind off of what he is going through and yeah we just pretty much worked our asses off for two months we didn't really do anything else it was a brutal trip a lot of just manual labor but i think it was really good we came back and we were psyched i mean a lot of the trip was spent just sitting there in silence but um yeah he's a really good friend chance trob awesome guy but that was also the first expedition i took it was pretty heavy duty yeah it sounds like it was super heavy duty but but you know it's it is in some ways nice to have your first expedition be that successful mm-hmm. um yeah, i mean establishing a 19 pitch free route in another country somewhere um is a pretty awesome goal and to achieve when you're yeah when you're just kind of like walking into that valley too it's a, it's a pretty impressive feat from what i can can imagine cuz just getting your bearings there is can be uh i think really difficult and and understanding what it takes to get up to the walls let alone climb them is pretty intense yeah and we just kind of took it little by little mm-hmm. i think a lot of what helped us is we at the time we were pretty inexperienced i was like thinking back what we did i was like wow you know it's one of those trips we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into yeah i just kept going and now it gets done it's one of the classics to do down there oh is, really yeah which is cool yeah it gets repeated a lot mm-hmm God, I wish I could imagine. I, I watched the film, and um, you know, first the thing I noticed was how how nice the weather was. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like shirts off, doing all this rock climbing. I was like, oh, that must have been nice. We got like four days of like decent climbing, I think. And I don't know, we were there probably like three weeks, but uh, but yeah. So and then and then I was trying to figure out where that wall was, and I can't really picture it in terms of uh, of where it is in the valley, but. Um, can you, and, and it looked like you could see what you guys were doing from where the refugio is. Yeah. Oh, so you can see it from there. Yeah. We'd like go back to our base camp, take a rest day every once in a while and go back to the base camp and just look up at the wall and try to figure out how many more pitches we had. Yeah. If you're walking into the valley, it's, if you look to the left, majority of it is a big slab, like pretty low angle. Then, um, and we follow this dihedral system or various dihedral systems that went to the top and at the top it gets steeper epic and there's a trail that actually hikes around the backside and goes to the top and after spending like weeks to get to the top of the face we topped out and walked up and there's a whole crowd up there and like we hadn't (laughs) showered forever and we're dirty and it was a trip (laughs) chilean college kids oh right on yeah. yeah, it's kind of wild that that must have been a big change too, because I know it's gotten a lot more popular just for trekking and things like that mm-hmm. um, than it was when we were in there. Now they they this was what year? Like so, these eight years was like tw- 2012 or something. Yeah, I think 2013. Oh, 2013. Yeah, so uh, five or six years after we were there, I think, or maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember. It's too long ago, but we were there no later than like 2009, I think. But and they hadn't start. They had just kind of started the refugio. They were actually like l- creating the lumber for it because they they cut all the lumber out of the forest there. So it was the refugio was built. Did you guys? Can you still stay across the river just camping out? Yeah, yeah. Um, we just camped, and then I've actually been there. Went there again. I think like three years ago or something. Yeah, that place is. It's getting more and more popular. There's right. like, I think four or five places you can camp now. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
And like um, other other businesses? Yeah. Okay. Other campgrounds. Wild. That's so wild. Yeah, it felt it's... so remote and like yeah, and then little when we were there, Zen. um yeah, little Zen was like a, just a little toddler. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. he's like all grown up now. Yeah, when I last time I was there, I was there on an assignment uh taking photos and he's really in photography. So he was psyched. But nice. Yeah, Danny and uh, Danny and Sylvia. Yeah, Danny's a really interesting guy. Yeah, I don't know how much you hung out with them, but but uh, we hung out with him a lot because it was raining a lot. And yeah, so we chilled with Danny a ton. But uh, yeah, he has some great stories. You know, he hitchhiked all the way from South America to Reno. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, fully like fully. I mean, hitchhiked, jump trains, but basically like you know, vagabonded, and he actually walked through the Darien Gap. Oh wow! Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> which is like that. that's yeah. insane. I know that's like tr- I mean, insane as in like it's actually you have to be sort of fucking crazy to try to do that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, it's like Panama hits Colombia. You can't actually. I mean, you obviously can, but it's uh, very difficult legally and everything else to actually physically pass through that border yeah no roads or anything no roads and then yeah and even the like people who drive from like alaska to tierra del fuego usually well not usually they always take their ferry take a ferry to go around it Mm -hmm. you can't drive into it but anyway he passed through there somehow so yeah some great awesome stories from that guy i'm sure actually i should probably try to get in touch with him for this thing now that i'm just doing remotes because uh yeah, he's a fascinating dude um, for sure. And he's definitely been a, ch- a champion for that valley. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not a national park or anything. So it's not protected. Yeah, which is astounding when you go in there that it's, I mean, anywhere else in the world, that thing would be, at least in the first world, that thing would be a national park. I mean, the walls are just incredible, you know, mm-hmm. just one after another stacked behind each other kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it's good that people are climbing there because with what you said is just completely true is that not only are they, they crack sturdy, but they grow back really, really quickly. And, um, and when we were there, it was still just kind of like these legendary roots that had been put in mostly by South Americans anyway, if not Chileans. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's cool that people are going to climb there because if, if a couple seasons go by and a route doesn't get done, it, it jungles right back up, I think. Oh, it's such a good scene too. There's really good people and people who are attracted there more the adventurous climber. It just I've been to Shaltan and it's totally a different scene. Um, well, yeah, and it's cool because it's also like uh, in in a difference. You know, it it's Patagonia. It's in you know what would technically be considered that region, but it's not alpine climbing, which is kind of what attracted me to it. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, there's not going to be any ice, <laughs> just lots of water. Just yeah running water instead of uh instead of snow and ice so pretty cool so that was kind of your first uh big expedition and you know based on that film someone who was interested in at least recording what you were doing which uh, i think is you know that that is kind of a line that divides a lot of climbers um i rarely film anything or i rarely even for my own archives in fact i never film anything i take pictures but uh you know what was the transition then for you in terms of being a climber and being on these expeditions and uh, deciding that you had some interest in becoming this adventure uh, photographer and and possibly videographer. It happened pretty, I guess, naturally. I think 
I was always going on adventures and just taking pictures of stuff. And I have a brother. He went to school for photography and he was, I mean, he was just like, you're always going on these adventures and doing this rad stuff. So he gave me one of his older cameras and that's when I just started taking it everywhere. I never thought I would make money off of photos or anything. I think just being in the scene for a long time, it just slowly started to work. And I'd say it really started, I think I was shooting seriously for probably like five years. And then I started dating this girl and got her into photography. And within a year, she was selling photos and she was like sponsored and stuff. And I was like, I'm doing something wrong. Like, <laughs> And so I just started reaching out to companies more and submitting more. And um, yeah, it just kind of started to snowball from there. But I always had this thing in my head, like I was always shooting and I figured if people liked my stuff, I'd start selling it. Uh-huh. But no one knew of any of my work. So, so people weren't going into your house and looking on your high drive to find photos to put in catalogs. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> That's not how it works. And I was, I, mean, I was just doing construction and climbing and people would be like, well, what are you like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'll, I'm just going to keep climbing and taking photos and mm-hmm. someday it'll work out. And I mean, it kind of does work like that. I saw what she did. And so then I knew what I had to do. It started to work. And then I quit everything else I was doing for work and just started shooting full time, not knowing if it was going to work. But yeah, then when I was shooting, like climbing and shooting full time, I had more content. I've been like living out of my vehicle for the past like 15 years. So don't need a lot of money. People say it's hard being an adventure photographer, but I think it's easier if you're an adventure photographer before it's your job. So So was there anything that was a particular like, or you feel like was a break or anything in terms of uh, like a foot in the door or um, getting something recognized uh, that you were proud of? I was doing construction in Ventura, California. And that's where Patagonia is based. And I met a whole bunch, like a big crew from Patagonia and like I'd keep in touch with them, but I was always too scared to ask for contacts or ask like, Hey, how do I submit things like that? And then finally, I think two or three years after I met them, I finally reached out to one of the guys and I was like, Hey, could I like, how do I submit? And he emailed the head editor and CC'd me on an email. So she actually looked at my email and, um, I'd made a submission and she responded that it was really good and I should submit more and gave me instructions how to request clothing. And I mean, I was like living in my van, dirt bag, and I was working on uh, the USR team in Yosemite. So I wasn't making any money. Yeah, I was psyched. I I saw that email and I started to like tear up. I was like, this, like, I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to work. Then I just started shooting more after that, like thinking of shots more and actually doing stuff to go shoot instead of just shooting and climbing, treating it more as a job. Why were you in Ventura, California doing construction? What the hell, how the hell did you get, get to there? Yeah, were you I, stalking Patagonia? No, I've, uh, <laughs> I've done so many different jobs. For a few years, I did rockfall stabilization. So like those, those mesh rock retention walls you see on the side of the highway. I was installing those all over the country, like Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, a lot of work in California. And so we just happened to be on highway one just out of Ventura. And yeah, I was living in a hotel there 
and I'd work and go to the bars and, and on the weekend, usually like go out to Joshua tree or go out to the needles and stuff. And one night at the bars, I met a few of the Patagonia people and, uh, yeah. And they're climbers and all the other guys I worked with were gnarly, like construction guys. So I was like one of the only guys that actually climbed, even though our job was to hang off ropes and stuff. Sure. The company I worked for was super cowboy. They would pull, um, like the equipment operators when they needed more people on ropes, they'd just be like, all right, you're working on the ropes today. And they would tie whatever knot they knew, just like a whole bunch of overhands or whatever, tie onto a fence and rappel over this cliff. Like it was nuts. Just single ropes. Like I ran torch cutting like rebar on a single line for weeks and like running a chainsaw on a single line. It was crazy. It was really cool because there's no rules and we'd get a lot of shit done, but it was really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Just fire up the blowtorch to your yeah. nylon rope hanging right there. For you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Really great idea. That's Definitely crazy. OSHA was nowhere to be seen. I under, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny though. The bar, like I just imagine you were just like, oh shit, those guys are climbers. Like they probably like stuck out like sore thumbs when they walked in the bar. Oh yeah. Like a thousand percent. Those guys are climbers. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I got to talk to them. <laughs> That's but. pretty cool. That's like a, yeah, I imagine it was like a, I don't know, like I have this idea that it was, you know, like you were going to try to pick up some girl and you're like getting yourself psyched up to go talk to these Patagonia people. Like, what should I say? Yeah. What should my first well, line be? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know they were Patagonia people. Oh, right on. Like, I was just hanging out at the bar and started chatting with this person and asked them what they did. And so they worked at Patagonia, then... I think they're like, we're going to Joshua Tree this weekend. You should join us. Right on. They're just super friendly. They had just started working for Patagonia. So they're all psyched. Cool. Yeah. You're like, I could watch cable in my hotel room yeah. <laughs> all weekend, or I could go to J Tree. I wonder which one I should do. Yeah. <laughs> what did the rest of the guys do on the weekends? Work? Uh, they got drunk. Okay. Oh, yeah, really drunk. <laughs> or, like when we weren't working, they would complain that we weren't right. working. Then when we'd work too much, they'd complain that we were working too much. And they lived their whole lives like that. How did you get hooked up with that job? So before that, I built ski lifts for a while off and on. And the guy that owned that company, he quit building ski lifts and started doing the rockfall stabilization. Okay. And he's a family friend. He's always done crazy construction jobs and ever since high school, like I've worked on and off for him mm -hmm. over the years. And with any of his jobs, he was just like, call me up whenever you want to work and I'll put you to work. Oh, that's so, a, that's a good hookup for a climber. Yeah. yeah. So I'd work like, I don't know, three to six months, then take the rest of the year off. Cause right. it was usually just work your ass off living in a hotel. That sounds awesome. Actually. I mean, yeah. Awesome and heinous at the same time, but, yeah. but for a setup like that, I mean, cause it's gotta be decent money too. And if you're not spending anything. Um, you could probably accumulate a, a good good stash pretty quickly. Yeah, it was really good. And it'd keep you in shape, really active and hard work. So, yeah, I loved yeah. it. Yeah, it's yeah. funny how there's a certain age you do that stuff because I've done plenty, nothing as heinous as that, but construction where it like keeps you in shape <laughs> as opposed to beats you down too much. Um, and then you cross over into this age and I bet you the guys you were working with were like, a lot of them were in the age where it just like fucking hammers you and like, destroys you slowly like some sort of monument that's being like chipped away at yeah no for sure some of them like we had hand um power drill a lot with these 
big, like 45 pound drills powered by air. And a lot of their wrists and their elbows were just shot. Yeah. And I was still young enough. Like, I think I'd get my ass kicked right now. I mean, I'm 35 now. So, yeah, yeah. it's something you got to move on from for sure. Yeah. Um, or it becomes really bleak. Did you do the fishing boat thing too? Or the yeah. cannery stuff? Or, or what was that all about? Um, for one year, I worked on a remote fish hatchery. So, okay. When I was 19, went up to Alaska and yeah, I lived on a remote island for six months with, two other guys. Then after that, I went back two more seasons and commercial fished like on, um, sanding boats for salmon. And, um, yeah, it was cool. I'd, I'd work for the summer, then take the rest of the winter off. And that was right. before I was a climber. Oh yeah. yeah. What were you into then? Um, just traveling like a backpacker, like okay. traveled all over the world, like Asia and Europe and South America. I'd just backpacking, just right. have a backpack on and move every couple of days. Just seeing different shit and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, what led you to that? Like, what kind of kid were you growing up that led you to, uh, you know, almost, it's like, you know, the, the big stereotype is like the McCandless kid, right? He just like disappears from his family or whatever and, and starts going around the world. What led you down that path versus something else? I don't really know. Or something like, more standard anyway. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I tried out college and I only went for a short bit. Um, but I remember I got out of college and I was thinking, all right, I'm going to, I wanted to be a welder. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be a welder. I'm going to buy a truck and a house and I'm going to get a wife and have kids. <laughs> and I mean, I was psyched. I remember my buddy is like. get a wife. Buy me a wife. <laughs> yeah. I remember a buddy, like we'd have these conversations and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have a family and kids. I'm ready. Then um, my best friend from high school, he talked me into driving uh, down to Mexico with him from Montana. We had a $400 Volvo station wagon and we drove from Montana to the tip of Baja and we took five months in that trip. I think it was an eye opener. It was just fully out of my element. We just surfed the whole time or learned how to surf got her ass kicked most of the time and didn't know how to live on the beach or anything. But I remember talking to him and I was like, what are you going to do with we, when we get done with this trip? And he's like, I think I'm just going to keep traveling because that's what I like to do. And I remember thinking to myself, like that was badass. He wasn't buying into what society thought was normal. I like doing this, so I'm going to do it. And then after that, it was kind of funny because we got back from that trip and his family the pressure from his family, he ended up getting a real job. And that was the last trip he ever took. And then I went the opposite way. Like I wanted to have kids and have a family and do all that stuff. And after that little talk with him, I've been on the road ever since. I think a lot too, like the younger years, just my family, they've been so supportive of anything I want to do like ever. And that's really helped me just if I'm feeling something, I'll go with it instead of pressure to do something because it's normal you know it's one thing to like save up some money and then you know go fuck off in europe backpacking trip we keep saying that word and like repeating it because it's like it's not there's really backpacking, backpacking like where yeah where you go into the wilderness but then you know backpackers around the world are like hostile hoppers right mm -hmm. and uh and it's usually just a fuck off party for a lot of people so that's one aspect of it but this idea that you would go out into the world and be capable of you know disappearing onto this island which you know i don't know if we'll have time to go back to that but you and two dudes on island. did you see this movie recently about the light i think it's called the lighthouse with willem dafoe no okay well 
watch it. That's what I envisioned all of a sudden with you and the, it's fucking, it's, it's like the weirdest. I mean, Willem Dafoe, like, that's yeah. all you got to say. It's yeah. like kind of this weird semi-horror film. It, it's wicked. It's got the kid from Twilight in it too. Um, he's huh. not a kid anymore, but he's amazing. Anyway, so I, <laughs> you'll laugh when you, if you watch it, you'll be like, right. oh, dude, <laughs> it wasn't that tonight. fucked up. Yeah. But, um, but you know what I'm getting at is like you 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 were set up to to succeed in in other ways out there in the world. Like where did that come from? This this thought that you could just do a fish hatchery, you could go and string rebar on cliffs, you could do whatever it took to kind of keep your life going. I think my parents they've always been really content. Maybe I got that from them. Like I I was just gonna go try these things until I was content. And I remember when I quit college, like I had friends that. Or like, well, what are you going to do now? You're just going to move back to Mile City, which is eastern Montana. It's a small town. And like do nothing with your life. And I remember that pissed me off. I was, since I'm not in college, I'm going to go see shit and try shit. Just experience everything I can. And if I didn't like it, I would usually wouldn't stick with it. I'd have a job for six months and work hard. And then the next season or when I ran out of money, I'd, I'd find a different one and try that. Growing up, seeing... My daddy was a really hard worker. He was a ranch hand. And just knowing whatever I did, if I worked hard, things would work. Well, that that kind of fits a piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, if your dad was a ranch hand, you know, seeing someone who, who yeah, you know, you're given a task, work with your hands, work hard and, and sort of get it done, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who was like growing up with sort of a white white collar dad like my dad you know although you know i learned a lot from him about carpentry and and things like that but it was still a different existence not necessarily making me you know growing up thinking i could like survive on a freaking fishing boat or something like that climbers come from all different cloths but this idea that you just leave home and are going to just make your way doing whatever you can is is uh, you know i don't know if courage is the right words but there's a certain amount of audacity to it mm-hmm. And what you said about the the college thing is interesting because, yeah, if you're in a small town like that, I think that's usually what a lot of kids are taught is like the way out is to, to you know, go to college and get some career that can take them, you know, to the big city or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty cool that you were, I think, prescient enough to say that, oh, this isn't for me. This isn't really what I want to do. Because actually a lot of kids, myself included, go to college to like hide out for a while in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, I remember the. I mean, I only went for two weeks because that was the <laughs> deadline to get my refund. But those are the most depressing two weeks of my life. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of high school. So is that an associate? What do you get in two weeks? Is there, is there a degree involved in that? No, not at all. <laughs> I guess I experienced college and I hated it. Like, what was wrong with it? I, it was just I never you, liked school. I was good at school, but I never liked it. I got to work hard to uh-huh. get good grades. And I was just sick of it. I was like, I don't want to be doing this anymore. Was this one of the things too, where, where it was just what you were supposed to do? Yeah, for like sure. you were supposed to go to college. Yeah. In high school, I remember I didn't want to go, but all the kids were like, where are you going to college? Where are you going to college? And if one kid said he wasn't going, everybody would like make fun of him and just put him down. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to, try this out. And I, I mean, I went to college, it was a tech program for welding, but it was a two year program. So it was pretty intensive and it was still like eight hour days of school and stuff. So it was just like high school, but without my mom to help me with homework. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and your friends weren't there. Right. Yeah, it's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny because it's a totally different experience, you know. Um, and I was a suburban kid and had my own reasons for wanting to get the fuck out. And college was sort of the way out. Mm-hmm. And then it led to climbing for me. So it's kind of, it's a totally different path. That's pretty, pretty interesting. So that, that, that's like right before you went on your Mexico trip. Yeah. Well, right after that, I went to Alaska. Oh, okay. And right after Alaska, I went to Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the path that I was looking for. It's pretty wild. Where did you learn to climb? Like what, how, how did the climbing thing pop up into your life? Yeah, I was 23 and growing up, I was really into snowboarding. So I used to work for that company that built ski lifts. And for the winter, I was trying to figure out what to do. And my boss said I could work at any ski lift in the country. And I wanted to drive a snowcat, a groomer. So I told him I either had a choice between Jackson Hole or um, Squaw Valley. And I applied to both of them. And yeah, he got me a job driving a snowcat for Jackson Hole, the ski resort. And so I was there for a winter and I was in a bad accident snowboarding. I compressed five vertebrae. And it was the second time I had broke my back. So I've compressed seven vertebrae total. And after that, I, I stuck around Jackson Hole because I, did, I had to heal up. And I ended up getting a job at an a outdoor shop, Teton Mountaineering, and met other climbers and started going out with them. I was just hooked. Like I saw my progress just really quickly and I wasn't getting hurt. And I was psyched. I mean, went from not being able to get up a route, then at the end of the week, I was able to get up like a a five nine or whatever. You know, it was just really cool, and pretty much haven't stopped since then. What What was your other back breaking accident? Um, yeah, it was after I quit college. I was at a party and jumped off a balcony. (laughs) 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 Yeah, compressed two vertebrae. All right. Well, sounds like it's good you did get the fuck out of town. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, actually, after that, I was like, I I quit college and now I broke my back at a party when I was drinking. Right. I was like, this is dumb. I need to, yeah. I, like I am becoming that loser that quit yeah. college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like, yeah, step two. Yeah. Um, you know. I still feel like I'm delving around and in, in trying to find this like um, almost like this self-awareness that it seems like you've been able to kind of have throughout these decisions that you've been making. And we haven't really talked about your brother either. Um, you know, I, it sounds like that. Brothers. Yeah, two older brothers. But one in particular is also a photojournalist, right? Yeah. What kind of influence, uh, you know, was growing up with two older brothers like? I feel like I owe so much to them from the first time I rode a bicycle. Just, I mean, I have huge advantage growing up with two older brothers, just watching them through life and seeing what they do that works and what doesn't work. And also my parents were a lot easier on me because they're broken in. That brother that went to school for photography and got me into photography, like he was huge influence and still is on me. Like he shoots documentaries for Nat Geo and Netflix and stuff now. Yeah, then my other brother, he's a very skilled carpenter. Does like custom homes and stuff. I'm still learning stuff from them. Well, it's funny your your old your brother is it Garrett? Yeah, yeah, the, is the photographer. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that he he's he went to school for photojournalism and and started a career in that. But it took this ex girlfriend for you to figure out how yeah. to sell pictures. Well, it's funny because he well, and that's. I mean, he went to school for photojournalism, 
and he couldn't figure out like how to do what I'm doing now, which is was interesting. And that's why I was like, oh, it's not going to work for me. I'll just take mm -hmm. pictures because I like to. Yeah, because he went to school for photojournalism and he pretty much got out and he was ready to work at a newspaper, take photos. And he did that for a little bit and didn't like it. So he did like we've been very similar in our path. Like he mm -hmm. did carpentry, he did all sorts. I mean, he commercial fished with me for a season. Just trying to figure stuff out, and then he eventually got into video work. How long have you? Would you consider yourself uh, a professional? Say so I quit all other jobs. I think when I was like thirty, mm -hmm. I'm thirty five now, so five years I've been doing it. Where can we see your work? Like, what are what has been some of the things that you've done in the last five years that uh, that you're proud of, or that we uh, we we might even even have come across without noticing it was uh, you. It's the most recent cover for Patagonia. That's my third cover. From the beginning, been shooting with them. They're the ones that got me going five years ago. And so, yeah, a lot of stuff with them. Then I guess last winter did an expedition with Jackson Marvel and Jack Kramer. And uh, Jackson, he's a North Face athlete. We went to Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and drove 3,000 miles around looking for new ice to climb. Yeah, the North Face did a thing on that. I guess one of the most recent things is this Firestone film, the Firestone Beer Company. I work with them as like a athlete slash photographer. And uh, yeah, a new film, The Young Man's Road, just came out that a friend of mine, actually it's pretty cool, um, good friend of mine, Dylan Gordon, that I've known, he was actually with that Patagonia crew in Ventura. That's when I met him, which was a long time ago. He's the one that made the film on me, which is kind of a cool connection because he's seen me through like when I used to con construction to, I guess, what I'm doing now. And so that's like a, a bit of a biography film. Yeah, it's just, it's like 10 or 12 minutes. That's so uh -huh. pretty short. So I just I got to ask you this because <laughs> we've been talking for a while now, but like when he approached you about doing a film that sort of is biographical of who you are sort of putting you as the, as the centerpiece of the film. Uh, how did you feel about that? I didn't really think anything of it. I, oh, okay. In my head, I was like, <laughs> Oh, he's just going to follow me around, get a few shots. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be this like Instagram, Instagram clip up on Firestone or something. Right. Then um, it actually, it turned into something way bigger than I ever thought was going to happen. Right. Like I feel like the past, month is the most i've ever talked about myself ever and it's weird <laughs> that's what i'm getting the feeling that's why i asked the question actually yeah. i mean and it also like we you know it's like there's a lot of uh photographers who were or are great climbers in their own right but they still tend to stay behind the scenes you know it's like we don't know nearly as much about their climbing in their lives as you know who they are shooting Mm -hmm. You know, I think like Jimmy Chim may be a big uh, exception to that, you know, because he's he's sort of got just as much acumen in, in both worlds that we know about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, most photographers, they're photographers. Like, I don't know how hard or how well Jim Thornburg climbs. I think I know he's a good climber and he, he's made his life out of it. But, you know, it's like we never find out about these people. So I don't know if it's a personality thing to to want to stay behind the scenes or if it's just a logistics thing. But when I was watching the film and now talking to you for 
for a while, I'm like, God, I wonder if he actually like wants all that information out there because, um, you know, it it does feel like you're a little bit undercover um, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess I don't really care that this info is out there. I mean, even from the get go, when I was telling you that I met the Patagonia crew, Mm -hmm. like in my head, I wasn't thinking, oh, if I become friends with these guys, maybe I can get in with Patagonia. And I think it might be, I don't know if you'd call it a downfall, Mm -hmm. but just um, not great at putting yourself out there. You're you're better at just taking the photos and getting other Uh people out there. (laughs) Right, right. So Yeah, I mean, I get it, dude. I'm I'm like, I'm... I mean, it's funny because people think of me as sort of like that because of this podcast now that I've been doing it. But it's the same sort of thing where I just kind of like, you know, fell, tripped, whatever, and ended up doing this podcast and it ended up lasting this long. But yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I've had a similar career where I've been at these crossroads where I'm like, well, you know, this could happen, but if I don't, yeah, fuck it, I'm okay. Like, I don't need to to spray about myself or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I literally stood in front of the North face booth at the trade show, like in fucking late nineties. And, you know, Kevin thought was like, come in, mate, I'll I'll show you, you know, I'll introduce you around, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, eh, no, I'm cool. And I just like (laughs) left, you know? And those are those moments where you're like, well, you know, if I'd have been a little more like, I want this, this is what I want my life to look at. You know, I would have gone in there and I would have met them all and I would have had my card and my resume and blah, blah, blah. And so it's like, it's just funny that, you know, going back to you thinking people would just somehow discover your photography, Mm -hmm. you know, on those, those mini discs or whatever the hell you were shooting on back then, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really know. It's working now. Yeah. It's working now. So let's just chalk it up to pure fucking talent. Yeah. It rose, it was the cream, literally the cream rose to the top and that's yeah. you and they found it and they made it happen. <laughs> so, um, well, let me ask you a little bit about this. Cause I, that, that movie's like, it's, it's got a little bit of a somber tone. I mean, maybe it's the guitar. Is that you playing the guitar by the way? No, the, I mean the, the score, like anything without, yeah. um, voice is Matt Costa. Okay. And, um, my dad, he, he wrote the song that is like the singing song. Oh, awesome. And um, that's about me and my brothers. Oh, and he, cool. he wrote it like 10 years ago or something. Oh, man, I'll have to go back and listen now. Yeah. It's, it's, it was it's sort cool. of in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's totally cool. Do you play? I was wondering. I thought I saw a picture of you playing. Yeah, I play the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of why I was wondering if it was maybe you had even provided that. No. Um, but but nevertheless, what what I was going with is it's, you know, it, it, the the theme of it is sort of like, yeah, young man's road, this this like journey, this kind of like up and down of what it took to become or get to where you are now. Like looking back at that kid who wanted the family, um, wanted to sort of do the normal thing. Do you ever have pangs about about that life or or see yourself as as uh, you know, sort of slowing down into something like that at some point? I don't know about like the family and kids and stuff, but I definitely have thoughts about just the clocking in and clocking out. I was just out at the ranch that I grew up on in Montana and just being out there. I mean, it's out there. It's like 30 miles out of town from this small town, Cascade, Montana. And it's just simple. I mean, 
I mean, it's hard work, but you aren't worrying about who's who and what's cool and who you should be talking to and what you should be doing next. You're just, you're just working. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think about that a lot. I think as an artist, you're hard on yourself a lot and you, you compare yourself to others a lot. And so I miss just the, just doing construction or whatever, where mm-hmm. you're just working mm-hmm. and you don't, you aren't as hard on yourself still. I, I mean, I definitely love what I'm doing now. Yeah. And 35 again, it's like that work starts to get a little old after yeah, a bit, after sure. a bit, but the simplicity of it is certainly, it's something that I think most people sort of think about sometimes, um, mm-hmm. you know, as life has gotten more connected and more intense on, you know, that ultra connectivity is originally it was presented as this great thing this idea that you could always be connected and yes and then you're just like fuck i wish i didn't have internet right now right like how can we get out of this um but then we're all so conditioned for it that when you don't have it you're like oh i gotta i gotta get back to some fucking wi-fi you know yeah as as soon as i possibly can and those feelings can get difficult but yeah and and i was just kind of curious because it is you know I'm, i'm almost 50 and uh haven't lived the same life, but this climbing life, you know, sometimes you do wonder about like, well, what if I had spent all that time doing something else, you know, where would I be now? Um, it's, it's kind of interesting, but, um, if you're only five years into, uh, into a career, it's no time to, to go back to the ranch right now. I don't think. No, <laughs> I'll be doing this for a while. <laughs> that sounds good. You mentioned, uh, the word art just a second ago, actually. Have you ever thought about what is your style or what it is that you sort of strive for with your photography, you know, thinking in terms of not comparing yourself to other people, but um, maybe what you hope uh, sets you apart. I mean, my, my main mentor was my brother and he, he was always really into just documenting people and any image he took had people in it. And so I started my photography like that, just documenting with whatever was happening and so I'd say that's what I'm best at and what I enjoy the most is just going on trips or even if it's a day. In an email you sent me, you mentioned how nobody really knows it or something like that. But I was on the trip with uh, Brett and Mayan down in Patagonia. I don't know how you put it, but basically like, yeah, I was there, even though no, no nobody <laughs> knows. Like, is, is there a method to kind of removing yourself as a documentarian in terms of taking your photos? I've gotten better with it, but that trip was one of the first trips that I was there and my my job was to document the trip. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for me not to be, I mean, I was part of the team. Like we were on the wall every day together and I helped haul and shiver at belays and stuff. But like I was there to document and it it's taken a while to get comfortable to be that person. I mean, of course it still kind of bothers me when you're, you're suffering out there, but then you don't get the recognition of maybe the professional climbers, but then you just have to look at it as their job is to be the professional climber. And your job is to be the professional photographer and to document it. Yeah. It's, it's tough, especially when you are a climber. I wanted to be on any of these trips I go on I want to be climbing, but at the same time, I get just as much enjoyment out of like shooting these insane areas and being with these athletes that are some of the best in the world. Like just documenting that, I get just as much joy out of climbing. 
I think that's that's the trick. And what makes you a good expedition partner? I feel like I pretty much get along with everyone. Just kind of morph into whatever's happening. Just kind of adapt. I was two years on the Yosemite search and rescue team. So just being just big wall skills and rope management and climbers don't really, they wouldn't have to take care of me on an expedition. I think that's a big, big perk. Just having all the skills from big. I don't know. You seem a little like a prima donna. Like we'd have to cater to your every whim. (laughs) It depends on the day. If if I haven't had enough water or something. Fucking Drew. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I put two teaspoons of honey in there. That's what you told me to do. Yeah. This tastes like garbage. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, speaking of that trip and, um, with mine and Brett, <laughs> like we were rationing food and it was a joke because I was getting so skinny that it was a joke. I was on like Mayan's expedition diet and we were all <laughs> laughing about it because I was getting the same quantities as them and I'm like way bigger than both of them. Yeah, you but are. I Especially lost, Brett, actually. <laughs> I lost like 20 pounds on that trip. But yeah, I mean, I still, but you got the shot, man. You got the shot. I was so psyched to just that location and just being part of that trip. I mean, it was tough, but right. Kind of, I mean, I just knew I'd get through it. I kind of asked that question and and I think you missed the, the word you were looking for is stoic, man. You sounds like you can go up there and, and deal, Uh, um, and work hard, you know? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So. Where does that leave you? What's going on um, career-wise right now? I don't know. It's interesting. A lot of other photographers will ask me what I have going on or people are always asking me what I got going Mm -hmm. on and I never know. I'm just like, I mean, I got a couple contracts that keep me going. Mm -hmm. Then I shoot a lot like on spec for Patagonia or like any trip. I'm always climbing or doing trips and always shooting stuff for Patagonia and, and stuff's always coming up. Right. But yeah, for now I'm back at my house in Salt Lake city for a couple weeks. Then, um, yeah, I'll be back on the road in the van. I think as of now, I'll probably be going to the Southeast, like Tennessee. I haven't spent any time there in the winter and my girlfriend's family lives out there. So we can't leave the country right now. We talked before, I think before we were recording about how we had possibly met and it was at a trade show, which is really hard to remember because you meet tons of people. But um, uh, there's this line that you get at the trade show is, how's your show going? Yeah. <laughs> just like this thing that it's just a way to sort of, I don't know, bullshit about whatever. But uh, now now I, I was, I've been thinking about the question is like, how's your pandemic? Like, yeah. what's your fucking pandemic life like? And I know a lot of photographers you know, it's, it's brutal. Like right now, like expeditions got canceled and, um, you know, there's just not a lot going on, uh, within the industry as far as planning either. So it's very hard to know what's going to happen. Um, in 2021, have you felt like you've been equipped to deal with that or, um, has it been all right for you because of these contracts? What's, what's your pandemic been like? Yeah, I think it's been, it's been fine. Like I was pretty freaked out when it all started going down. Was, um, oh, really? Not me. Yeah. I don't think anybody was. <laughs> no I was like, was okay, real. cool. It's fine. Yeah. But uh, 
last September, I I just bought a house. Right. And uh, yeah, then the pandemic hit. I mean, after a couple months, like I just kind of, I got back in the van and started Airbnb in my house and I knew stuff would work. And right. yeah, the contracts are nice because it's like consistent, but one of those was put on hold. So mm-hmm. it was freaky. They're like, we're going to put it on hold for now. And who knows if we'll ever pay you again. And that's back to normal now. But yeah, it's been, it's weirdly been fine. I feel like companies are adapting and I also have really good relationships with every company that I've worked with past years or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's fine. And I don't need to make that much to feel okay. Yeah. It seems like, uh, uh, of, you know, surveying people across the land. I, I don't know I feel like you've, you maybe have some equipment, uh, for, for dealing with this sort of thing. I mean, I, Early on, my friend Andrew and I on the other podcast, the run out, talked to talked to uh, Kelly Cordis, and uh, you know, there was a guy who was like equipped for like pandemic living, like just wanted to be left alone, and you know, all those sorts of things. And uh, some of your characteristics seems like, yeah, you, you know, end up in the van, whatever, it'll yeah. still work out in the <laughs> I'll long just, run. I'll just go climbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. More time well, to climb. Yeah, but the interesting thing too is that the outdoors are crazy right oh, now. Oh, dude, it's like, insane. Yeah, so I think any outdoor company who's like complaining about their bottom line are 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 hiding something right oh, now because sure. people are going off in the outdoors right now. Yeah. Um. So. But yeah, I still know some obscure areas. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's been yeah, fine. Of course. All right, Drew. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for connecting um, from up there in Salt Lake. It's cool that you do own a house. Now, I mean, that's part of the part, part of, uh, you know, the progression as it were. Yeah. Um, it's like I'd like to call it my storage unit. So, <laughs> it's it's one of those Airbnbs good. with lots of locked doors where yeah, stuff is. Uh, yeah. is. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, God, I wonder what's inside of this room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They complain about it. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, thanks a lot for, for, for connecting online and um, going to Best Buy and getting a microphone for me and everything. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. And it's uh it's cool. It's a dream for a lot of people I really look up to on this podcast. So I appreciate it. Right on. Well, hopefully we'll uh run into each other somewhere besides a trade show someday. Yeah, I hope I so. I can't believe it hasn't happened actually. Yeah. That it's only been the trade show. Now we're we're like friends now, so <laughs> I'll reach out to you if if I uh if I'm in your neck of the woods. Right on. And uh next time you see Jackson just uh, remind them that old man Kalu's drank him under the table in Michigan. Oh, nice. I'll do that for sure. <laughs> okay, folks. Thanks for listening and thanks to Drew for sitting down. Thanks to him for getting a mic. Always sounds better if they have a mic. And uh, as I was editing that, I was wondering what Drew was up to out there on the road in his van, climbing, taking pictures, breaking rocks, and pulling in that uh, passive income from the Airbnb. But, you know, maybe not so passive. I bet you some people can really fuck your place up. Anyway, I want to take a moment at the end of the year here, although it's probably well into 2021 while you're listening, to thank everybody for the support of the Enormacast 
over its lifetime, but also in the last year. Uh, listenership was up a little bit, which is cool because I think everyone was stuck at home with me in their head. Kind of a scary thought. But also there was a good amount of financial support donations coming in despite the economic hardship of the last year for a lot of folks. That always feels good when people can uh, give thanks by prying a few dollars out of their wallet. Keeps this thing going, but it also validates what I'm up to. It's more transactional there, showing showing the love through uh, financial support. Also, thanks for supporting the sponsors if you did, the little ones and the big ones. The sponsors, Sportiva Black Diamond, Peter Gilroy, Belay Specs, Bonfire Coffee. I guess that's my stable ones. They've been here for years and always uh, coming through each year to help keep this thing going. And though I do not do it to get rich, I certainly wouldn't be able to justify it, the time and the expense of putting it together uh, without a little bit of a financial support. So thanks to them, and hopefully you guys saw your way to supporting those sponsors because that's why we talk about them. Okay, it's still climbing season everywhere, ice, rock, all those things. It's slippery, though, slippery out there. So be careful, and of course, don't just check on each other when you're out climbing, but check on each other all the time. Be good to each other. we got to watch out for each other right now. It's a tricky time, stressful. And of course, check your knot. Why do you have to come back to this damn town? Wanted to make a new life for myself. I'm sorry I was born with this perfect bone structure. That my hair looks better done up with gel and mousse than hidden under a stupid hat with a light on it. All I ever wanted to do was make you proud of me, Pop. (laughs) 